What's up? What's up, Nick? Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because it's hard for people to buy from you if you don't have anything for sale. Today, you'll meet the former MRI tech who's taken her print-on-demand side hustle full-time, lately averaging 15 grand a month in revenue and four to $5,000 in monthly profit. How'd she do it? By following the trends with her own unique spin, putting hundreds of products up for sale, and some savvy marketing strategies I think you can apply in your own business. You can follow along with Heather Johnson on YouTube or at heatherxstudio.com. A couple housekeeping items before we get into it. First, the service she's using or one of the services she's using to fulfill these print-on-demand orders through Etsy is called Printify. Sidehustlenation.com slash Printify is my referral link, so you can check out the full catalog of products there. And second, if you'd like to give this business model a shot, I put together a list of 50 print-on-demand niches to spark some inspiration for you. You can download that resource for free at SideHustleNation.com slash Heather. Once again, for the full show notes for this episode, plus that free list of print-on-demand niches, just head over to SideHustleNation.com slash Heather or follow the link in the episode description of your podcast app. Now, Heather actually started her print-on-demand business early in the pandemic when her work hours got cut back, but eventually put her shop on pause. Then in late 2020 and early 2021, she got serious about growing her side hustle, and that's where our conversation starts. Ready? Let's do it. It was halfway through December, I started recreating designs, and then January, I started posting designs. I told myself, and I remember I actually wrote down on a piece of paper, I was like, action plan to make six figures in 2021. But I, uh, <laughs> I wrote in that notebook, you know, post three to five listings a day, every day for January and February. And my goal was to create a high volume listing store because that's what a lot of the YouTube gurus were saying at that time is high volume listing stores are what get you more views, more visits on Etsy. And that's how you can rank in the Etsy algorithm. So I started posting like a mad woman. I <laughs> do, you think, do you think that's still true today, by the way? Yes, definitely. That's what I tell a lot of my students now is to keep up with a high volume listing store. With print on demand, it's definitely a more highly saturated field to go into, especially if you're designing for t-shirts, sweatshirts, mugs. A lot of people are in that specific type of product right now. And that's something just to be seen on Etsy now. You really have to post. And also as a new store owner, you just don't know, or you don't fully know how to market research yet. And it's kind of just your first trial and error run of posting new designs, seeing what people like. And it's really surprising what people like. One of my ugliest designs, uh, the design I uploaded, I remember I was like, I don't want to post this. And I posted it and it became a bestseller. And I was like, wow, <laughs> out of all of my attempts to create a best-selling design, none of the other designs sold. It was my ugliest design that sold. So I was just miffed from that. And uh, <laughs> You never but, know what's going to work. Why, why do you yeah, think that one worked or what made it take off? It was just basic. And for a really long time, I was trying to create designs the way other people created designs. And the first time I kind of stepped out of that box of what other people were doing, 
and I kind of just created my own type of design, I was kind of going for more of the retro themed items and no one in 2021. I mean, there were people doing retro designs, but I kind of almost started a new design trend, which was really cool because then I saw so many other stores create that design trend. (laughs) Yeah. But that was probably, I'd say April is when my first bestseller really came through. But I remember in January, I uploaded, I think about 100 designs. And I had at the very end of January, I remember I was very frustrated because it was crickets. I saw a lot of visits, a lot of views, but no one was buying. And I was like, what's going on here? I I don't understand. You know, no one's buying. And maybe, maybe this just isn't for me. Like this really isn't for me because four weeks or five weeks passed and I had no sales. And then I think it was like the last day of January, I woke up to a cha-ching on my phone and I was like, oh, what was that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I looked on my phone and it was a sale and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. So that's what really like sparked the fuel in me to keep designing and keep creating more because I was like, wow, this one random person on the internet found my item. They liked my design enough to buy it. (laughs) So it's like the most rewarding feeling in the world. Like a stranger found my stuff and gave me money through the internet. It's like, it's very cool. And it's, it, it feels totally passive. Never mind the hours and hours of labor, like to come up with all of these designs and post those and create the descriptions. But it's like, yes, I have my first taste of passive income. Yeah. I love it. Did you have any background in design? Or were you, did you study this stuff in school? Like to, to have that level of that, I've created a hundred different designs where, you know, the non-designers in the audience are thinking, well, how'd you ever come up with that stuff? Yeah. I used to be part of my art club in high school. So I did that for four years. I remember in high school, I took, I I took the same class two times (laughs) and it was like ceramics and studio art or something like that. And so I really loved art and design, but I decided that, you know, healthcare was the route I really wanted to take. And that's why I went into, I actually originally went into x-ray for my first initial degree. So I have my associate's degree in x-ray and x-ray is very visual. So I got really good at doing x-ray because I would draw every like an anatomical structure in my journals. But then I decided to get my bachelor's degree in radiologic sciences. So I went into um, MRI after that and I really loved that as well, but I still loved graphic design as well. So I think that's why I really was drawn to print on demand because I could be still, I could still tap into my artistic background and go back into art in a different way. And I know the store is not public for reasons of copycats and just how easy Mm -hmm. it is for somebody to rip off your designs. And we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. But uh, was there a niche that you initially started with as just you know, to get the creative juices flowing, like, well, what kind of designs could I create? Am I looking at bestsellers? Or, you know, was there a specific niche that you're looking at and say, I can throw my own perspective into the ring here? I started with seasonal niches. So I did Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, and then I went into teaching. And then I was like, well, teaching's working. Let me try all the careers. So I went into like the occupational niches, really any any occupation you can think of. I started designing for, 
And then I went to dog niches. There's, there's just such a wide array of niches, you know, that you wouldn't think of that are niches. And then it's like, wow, I could design for that. I can design for that. So I kind of just kept branching out. And over time, it started creating a consistent revenue and then profit. So it was really cool to see that um, in January, I had that one sale, which was $2,250. And then in February, I decided that, oh, hey, uh, since I got this one sale, you know, I wonder if I create certain designs for specific niches, if that, and I posted and joined Facebook groups, then maybe I could get some more sales. So I decided to join a few Facebook groups in um, some career niches. And I posted my designs and then people started buying them. They started requesting different designs. So in February, I had about $1,000 in revenue from that. And then... Wow, just in kind of the second month of getting serious about it, yeah? Yeah, and... And I actually saw, you know, a few hundred dollars in profit. And I was like, wow, this is kind of nice getting side income. And March came, I kept posting in different Facebook groups. And the one thing I will say is when I posted in different Facebook groups, I did ask the admin before I posted. I know some people kind of are a little bit iffy about that, but I, I think, you know, it's, it's relatively okay if you ask the admin. And uh, surprisingly, a lot of people said yes to me to post in their Facebook groups because I just told them, hey, I'm at Etsy Small Business. Would you be willing to let me post in your group and give a coupon for this item? And a lot of people said yes. So I kept posting in March and I went to $5,000 in revenue. And then April, I kept posting. I had $19,000 in revenue. In April, I decided to stop posting in the Facebook groups. And then the magical moment happened where I realized that Etsy had picked me up organically in the search. So I was being shown on the homepage and in related listings and on the first and second page of the Etsy search. So I completely stopped posting in my Facebook groups. And in May, the organic traffic brought me $22,703 in revenue. So, and after that, my, my new baseline for revenue was $15,000. Like that's the lowest I've made ever since May. So it's pretty cool. That is very cool. I like this idea of trying to get in front of your target audience through these Facebook groups, but doing it tactfully with permission from the administrators and with a value add, like not just saying, hey, go go buy my thing, but here's a special coupon for you. I think that was a kind of cool angle there that probably, I don't know, it, it makes it seem more valuable. Like, oh, this is just for us. And here's a special discount, you know, for, for being a member of this group. I feel like I'm getting an insider deal. And so I think that was yeah. um, kind of a cool way to gain that initial traction, maybe get the Etsy internal algorithm to notice you to say, oh, this is getting sales. Oh, this is getting positive reviews. Like, oh, maybe we ought to start showing this up in the search results versus somebody else's random print-on-demand listing that doesn't have any sort of similar traction. Do you think that played a role in in that search discoverability? Yeah, I definitely think it does. And I even read it because I was really searching for the answer on this probably a few months ago because one of my students asked me that and I was like, you know what? I'm Like it's happened for me. It's happened for a lot of people that once you bring 
traffic from an outside source into Etsy. Etsy almost rewards you in return and gives you organic traffic back because of the Etsy algorithm. You almost kind of trick it into thinking, oh, hey, this item is really selling. People really like it. And maybe we should bring it up in the search for Etsy and up in the ranks. So, you know, it shows in related listings and the homepage and other things like that. And also the other nice part about with me posting in the Facebook groups is I had a lot of comments that said, oh, hey, can you make this custom type of listing for me? Can you make this saying on a t-shirt? So I started making the sayings and whatever was requested as a new listing on Etsy. And those listings, some of them became bestsellers. So I was circulating like five to 10 bestsellers every month. And I think that's what really kind of pulled in that organic traffic too, was just those bestsellers and the people still repurchasing. So it was really cool. That is really cool. And to be getting those like one-on-one requests, you know, those uh, custom requests, because we found the same thing with my wife, uh, Bryn's, her print-on-demand stuff. You know, people have become, have come to know her as somebody who can uh, acquire t-shirts for them. And so I'd be like, oh, can you make it yeah, exactly like you said? Can you make it like this? Or can you do just tweak it a little bit? Can you customize this thing? Yeah. And then and sometimes she gets like, you know, bulk orders for a family reunion or something like that. And it's like, oh, that was like, 300 bucks. Like, okay, cool. Yeah. Totally worth the time to tweak the little template or tweak the design that she already had there. I wanted to ask about the pricing structure. I think you mentioned the first t-shirt was like 2250 that you sold. Is that a common price point or is you're trying to like navigate the margin in between your cost of goods as, um, you know, based on what the supplier, what Printify, Printify is telling you, okay, the cost for this item is $15 or something like that. I try to generally price my items with that 30 to 40% profit margin area. But generally for t-shirts, I price with about $10 profit. But then usually I'm running a 15 to 20% off sale on my Etsy store. So that kind of factors into the equation. So I almost do, for Printify, for example... I usually sell the Bella and Canvas 3001 t-shirt and that goes for about eight to $9 on Printify. But because of the new boosted Etsy transaction fee, it's 6.5%. And then also factoring in, you know, if I'm paying for free shipping for that customer, all that. So uh, it's $4 for free shipping that I pay on my side if the customer qualifies for the free shipping. So on my store, I do free shipping over $35 order total. So if they hit that threshold, then I give free shipping. So, but generally (laughs) to break it down quickly here is the Printify, they charge $8. And then I sell my t-shirts generally for $10 more than that. So I sell it on Etsy for $18. Etsy takes the 6.5% transaction fee from the $18. So, um, and usually that estimates almost about a dollar or slightly under a dollar they take. So profit on that is generally about nine, eight to $9. So per t-shirt, which is really nice. And then minus the $4 in shipping, if they have ordered over 35. Yep. That's kind of a cool way to do it. Like, yeah, there was a big push a couple of years ago for Etsy. Everybody needs free shipping all the time. But it's like, well, 
you know, unless you're on Prime, not even Amazon has free shipping all the time. There's got to be an order threshold here. Otherwise, we're, <laughs> we're just going backwards. So thanks for breaking that down. Yeah, that's that's helpful because it's like, well, there's there's always fees. Everybody's going to take their little piece of this. I wanted to ask on, so if I have products for teachers and nurses and engineers and dog lovers and also St. Patrick's Day and is like, is this all under one conglomerate Etsy storefront or is there like a separate niche store for each of these things? No, it's all under one store. I was in between opening up different stores, but I, for certain product types, I found that you know, if you're selling mugs, for example, doing sp- multiple niche mug stores really works. And same goes for t-shirts and sweatshirts. I've seen at least really profitable Etsy stores that focus on one niche though, but they'll branch out into different product types as well. I've seen that as an idea, like bridal gift stores that sell mugs, tumblers, t-shirts, sweatshirts. I've seen like robes. There's so many different things that you can sell uh, with print on demand. So Okay. Yeah. But serving that one niche versus you've kind of gone, you've gone a little bit broader and say, look, you know, these are all my style of design, but we're going to serve a bunch of different audiences under one storefront. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I've really focused on is just doing one design for all the niches that I sell in. And it's just worked because it makes the design process much quicker. It makes the uploading to Printify, then pushing to my Etsy storefront really easy and streamlined, just kind of replacing my design templates with a certain phrase and then going from there and even taking that and putting that on a different product like a mug or a sweatshirt, a hoodie. There's just so many different products that you can kind of replicate the same thing for that people still like and want to buy. So yeah, how do you decide what is worthwhile to check that box to say, yeah, well, you go ahead, put it on a mug, go ahead, you know, put it on a hoodie, go ahead. <laughs> Cause it's like, you, you can, you can easily dilute in a way, all the listings like, well, I don't know now, now I got to scroll through pages and pages of this one thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like as far as mugs go, I feel like if you have a graphic based type of design, those are where you can kind of take, you know, a design for a mug, or a design for a t-shirt to a mug. But if it's just kind of like lettering, you know, and it's very basic, that's when it's kind of like, eh, should it go on a mug? But it always surprises me because this is what I kind of say with Etsy and print on demand is Etsy is just very nice, so to speak, when you can kind of test out the market for certain products and designs. So if something sells on a sweatshirt, sometimes if you transfer that to a mug, then it's really surprising how many people end up buying the mug as well, which is is kind of cool as far as that goes with print on demand. So, like the same customer base, the same people who bought the sweatshirt. It's like, yeah, I'll t- I really like this saying, so I'm going to take the mug too. <laughs> yeah, I've I've had that happen, and even like if I've noticed, it's mostly it's almost like they're buying gifts for coworkers I've noticed, or maybe family members. They're like, oh, you know, my sister and my brother want like kind of the same thing, but my brother likes to drink coffee a lot and he doesn't like t-shirts. So I'm going to get him a mug and my sister, you know, the shirt or something like that too. I've noticed around Christmas time at least. So. Yeah. I, I feel the same way with my own 
Etsy shopping, which is you know probably not a valid data point, but for what it's worth, like I'm less price sensitive because it's usually for a gift, and it's like okay, you know, I'm more after if it's the design that I like and it appears to be a legit seller, like they've got decent ratings. Like okay, I'm going to go for that one. And you also mentioned running kind of this constant ten to fifteen percent off. This was a store wide promotion that just like is a banner at the top, and it just says like as a conversion rate booster, like getting people to say, yeah, I'm going to order today because there's a sale going on? Yeah, I usually run a sale every day or every other day. The really nice part about Etsy is they have kind of a really high conversion system that a lot of people don't use in their store, or at least I don't see a lot of new Etsy sellers using. And that's where if you put on a sale on your store for a day or two days, Etsy will show on every single listing of yours that you have that sale on. It will show a countdown, like a timer, you know, when the sale ends. And then it it almost also acts as an email marketing system because when you put that sale on, Etsy generally will email your customer and whoever maybe favorited your item and signed up for Etsy's emails they'll send that customer a notice saying, hey, this item that you favorited is on sale. So that's something that I don't think a lot of new Etsy sellers know about, so to speak, which is really cool. And it's a really fun strategy I like to use in my store. So, Yeah, and have a really tight timeline uh, timer for that sale. Right? And it ends tonight or it ends tomorrow, like trying to get in, instill action, even if, it, even if there's another sale coming up tomorrow yeah. or the next day. It's like, okay, act <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, surprise, there's another sale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, same thing with, you know, any any you know department we had, the furniture store down, it was like, you know, they were in liquidation sale mode for what felt like 10 years. Like there was always some sale going on. So yes, I'm, I'm with you on that. That's retail uh, 101. Exactly. That's what I've noticed because I used to work at a big corporate retail store. You know, you see a flash sale every day or two in your email, you know, and surprisingly, it works. That's something to really engage on any new store, even if you have a Shopify store or Etsy's perfect for that. So, Hey, entrepreneurs, we know that anyone with a side hustle loves finding new ways to save. So if your business takes you on the road, sign up for a free membership with Hertz Business Rewards. Work trips, client meetings, industry conferences with Hertz Business Rewards, you'll save at least 20% every time you rent a car. And you'll save on more than just the daily rate. Members earn credits redeemable towards free rental days. It's also free to add an additional driver if any additional coworkers come along. And for those Gen Z entrepreneurs out there, no young renter fees. Plus, sign up for Hertz Business Rewards today and earn three times credits during your first 90 days. So whether you're traveling for a side hustle or a main hustle, join for free at Hertz.com slash business rewards. Applies to base rate, taxes, fees, and options excluded. Additional terms and exclusions apply. Visit Hertz.com slash business rewards to learn more. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, 
I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And on the email side, so Etsy is, I mean, Etsy has a you know, huge database of, of customers who bought something, you know, at any point in the past. And so now there's an opportunity to remarket. Hey, you might also be interested in this. And checking that sale box gives them an opportunity. It gives them a reason to promote you over the next store. Anything else that you've seen in terms of the email list building side? Like you probably can't, I don't know, do you get email addresses for your customers or is it kind of a little more opaque? I still do. Uh, so I usually have a email sign up. The only thing is with Etsy, I do not believe still unless there was a new update, but the links that you put in your description and your announcements, they aren't clickable. So that's kind of the tough part about it with Etsy. So I generally give like a higher discount if someone signs up for my email list over the sale price. So let's say I have the sale prices 15% off, then I will put a link to sign up for the email newsletter and subscribe. They can get 20% off. So that's what I kind of have running on my listing descriptions and in the shop banner and announcements and just anywhere I can kind of put it just so customers can get into my email list. But uh, generally, a lot of people don't go into it as often because you do have to like copy and paste it. And most people okay. or not most, but a lot of people are on their cell phones too. So that's kind of harder to do. So. Yeah. What's the email service provider that you're using to collect those emails and send out your own uh, marketing messages? I've been using MailChimp. So I don't really use it as much as I should <laughs> ever since starting with Etsy, but uh, I do email them every now and then, but I feel like Etsy has really taken that job for me, you know, with the sales and whatnot. So I've kind of held back on that, but yeah. Okay. But that's an interesting option for shop owners to, you know, to get people into their own ecosystem versus, you know, completely relying on a third-party platform. Any other listing best practices that you found? You just say, yeah, we're going to use the, you know, the template product photography from Printify or whoever. And, you know, we're going to create those eight listing images based on that. Or I don't know, what have you found effective? It's really just using the high quality mock-up images you can purchase off of Etsy. A lot of those mock-up stores um, on Etsy, if you just type in like, like I was saying earlier, the Bella and Canvas 3001 t-shirt, I would go on Etsy and I would look up a white Bell on Canvas 3001. And there's so many high quality mock-up photos that you can use. And one of the softwares that I used since the beginning is Canva. So Canva is a photo editing software and also design creation software. So I create my designs on Canva and then I do my photo editing on Canva as well. So that's where I can take that design, take the PNG file of it that's transparent, 
put it onto a mock-up. And then once I save that, I upload it to Etsy. And generally, like you said, about eight images, I try to shoot for about over three mock-up images at the very least, but eight is perfect. So Generally, I try to upload three to five mock-up images. I upload a size chart and a color chart for every t-shirt and sweatshirt I sell. And that's basically all I do for those. I think the high-quality images is what's really what sells people on your listings. And I like to say it's kind of the Etsy aesthetic. It's very different than Amazon with the white background. Instead, a lot of shoppers that go on Etsy, they're kind of looking for that aesthetic feel to a listing. So I think the mock-ups that a lot of the stores on Etsy sell really do that justice for print on demand at least. So yeah, they're more like lifestyle photos than yeah, that stark white background that you see on Amazon. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So including that size chart, including these, you know, nice high quality mock-up photos. And it's, you know, all it's all digital magic. Like you don't have to have this yeah. product in your in your home studio with the mannequin or you or yourself like modeling the thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, it's all it's all, you know, ones and zeros kind of behind the scenes. Any other things that you found? Like the last we talked about Etsy, it seemed you know, borderline keyword stuffing in the title of, of the listing. I don't know what the limit was, like, you know, 60 characters or something. It was like repeating different variations of the keyword like a million times. Is that still how it works, how the game is played? It is still how the game is played. <laughs> yeah. I okay. mean, I don't, I really don't know if they're going to change it. Like I, I had someone comment on one of my YouTube videos recently and they were like, isn't that so annoying keyword stuffing? And I was like, yes, it is. I was like, as, as someone who has an Etsy store, I get annoyed typing these, but you know, that's unfortunately how the Etsy algorithm works still. And one thing I found is long tail keyword phrases is what you really need to use when you're creating these types of titles. So it used to be short tail keyword phrases were the main go-to kind of like what you were saying, where you kind of repeat the same words over and over and over again. And long tail keyword phrases for anyone listening is three plus keywords in one phrase, short tail keywords is less than three keywords in a phrase. So like, for example, the title of a teacher t-shirt, you'd write teacher or English teacher t-shirt gift for teacher, because that's more than three keywords. And then you'd put a comma at the end of that, that would be your long tail keyword phrase. And I think that is what I've noticed that Etsy has kind of been boosting people up in the algorithm with. I have seen the short tail keyword phrases still in there, but I think people are very specific now, especially in the e-commerce space on what exactly they're searching for. So just putting teacher t-shirt is just, I've just seen it's very hard to rank in the Etsy algorithm with that now. So Gotcha. Yeah. So you got to be more specific gifts for kindergarten teachers or, you know, Christmas gifts for kindergarten teachers, like something super, super like more detailed, the better. Yeah, usually whoever's searching on Etsy, I feel like a lot of people kind of know exactly what they're looking for in a way, because, you know, since there's so much title stuffing, not just on Etsy, but you see it on Amazon and uh, just random stores on Google, people are keyword stuffing and it's kind of frustrating for a buyer now. So, you know, they're they're searching more 
directly. It's like, I, I know exactly what I want and I don't want a bunch of random ads popping up now, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, that's like you said, that's how the game is played. Does the description text come into play or is it primarily driven off that title? As of, I believe it was just recently in May, we had a huge Etsy SEO update. So now listing descriptions are a huge, um, not a huge factor, but they're a factor in getting ranked in the Etsy algorithm now. I think Etsy is really trying to kind of move and transition more to the way Google's structured and how you rank on Google. So I think they're trying to make sure that their metadata is showing up on Google. And, you know, ultimately all listings are kind of showing on Google and on Etsy the same way, so so to speak, at least from what I've seen recently. So, Okay. And are you playing around with the paid traffic internal to Etsy, the Etsy ads at all? I have been. So I recently did a YouTube video actually on this on I tried Etsy ads for $5 a day for 30 days. And so I've been testing it. I'm currently running another test with Etsy ads now because I'm using two different strategies. The first time I ran it was just all of my listings. And surprisingly, at the end of the video, I did find that Etsy ads and the algorithm, it takes some time for it to test all of your listings and see which one sells. And then usually by the end of 30 days, you'll get more sales, more conversions over time because that's the algorithm, of course, kind of figures out how to advertise, so to speak. So yeah, did that end up being profitable for you by the end of the month? I made a total of, it was $27. So (laughs) it was, I had 14 orders and $27 of profit. So, (laughs) and that was after the ads come into place. And uh, I think Etsy transaction fees, everything, it was $27 profit. So, you know, it it depends on. It's, yeah, it's not nothing. And it's like, well, if you spent, you know, if you spent 150,000 instead of 150, it's like, well, would that have been $27,000 in profit? Like, okay, you know, does it scale? I don't know. Exactly. And that's, (laughs) I believe I spent, it was around $150 I spent. Oh, of course, for the $5 a day for 30 days. So out of $150 um, and profit before factoring in ads, I believe was around like 160, 170. So I came out with the $27 of profit, which yeah, was yeah, still, yeah. you know, it, it depends on your definition of worth <laughs> is ads worth <laughs> it, you know, yeah, right. It's, it's all, if it's all incremental. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, though, it just depends on scaling and if it would be worth it, if you did scale too much more. So. Yeah. That's always the, you know, the Holy grail where I used to be able to spend 500 bucks a day, sometimes a thousand bucks a day and just, you know, spend it profitably on Google ads and, uh, you know, just racking up income for the business for one, but like racking up all these credit card miles, like, oh, we fly for free wherever we want. So I don't know, anytime you can spend money profitably is, is a really cool business to be in. So I like that. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. 
Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S.com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you, whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Anything else that's driving traffic sales today? She's like, hey, we're doing a little bit of testing with the ads. We cut off the Facebook group posting, but we have, we're ranking okay organically at this point. But anything else that's driving uh, organic sales to the shop? I wouldn't say anything different than I was doing. I think just uploading new listings. I, ever since I started on YouTube and kind of more on the coaching side of Etsy and print on demand, I've taken a step back on my Etsy and print on demand store. So it's been going down in that organic reach. But then last month, I decided to upload some new listings and that's been bringing in more organic traffic again. So I think uh, just uploading new listings, but that was the same as last year. You know, I was routinely uploading new listings and it does give you a small boost in the Etsy algorithm. So that was something I did last year that really worked for my shop. And this year I kind of realized I should probably keep uploading new listings being that I'm teaching about Etsy and print on demand and uploading new listings, but I'm not doing it myself anymore. So (laughs) that's the thing. And, And maybe this is the time to bring up the the copycats or the easily replicable nature of the business. So, you know, if somebody else can sort by best sellers, or you can see what designs are doing well and, oh, this shop has 5,000 reviews. Like, okay, they must be making sales. And then it's kind of like only a matter of time before those start to get ripped off and duplicated. I don't know. What do you, how do you, how do you deal with that? So DMCA claims are my favorite way to deal with it. Um, But I mean, so DMCA claims for anyone listening in is uh, that's a takedown notice. I'm not sure. Do you know what exactly DMCA stands for? I honestly. It's like the Digital Millennium Copyright Act or something like that. Yeah. And um, so they're basically just 
takedown notices that temporarily will take a listing off of Etsy and Etsy will contact whoever copied your store and they can counterclaim. So if they file a counterclaim against your store, then their listing gets taken back up and you can essentially go after them in a legal matter. However, it's usually not worth it, you know, for t-shirts and sweatshirts, unfortunately. So I've done a lot of those. I've probably done over, I'd say about 20 now, (laughs) but I try to email and message the Etsy stores that are copying me first. But if it's pretty direct and I see that they've done it with multiple other stores, that's when I don't even message. I just file it because some of those copycat stores, unfortunately, are more on the malicious side that they're kind of just copying everyone. And But other people, yeah. they're just new to Etsy and they just don't know yet that there is copyright infringement. And yes, this is my original work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think some people, they start on Etsy and they're like, oh, this is really working and this person's selling this. So what if I just make the same exact thing? And I understand that some people are kind of just really new, you know, and they just don't fully know yet, you know, <laughs> about intellectual That's property. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> is that as simple? Is there like a, a you know, a checkbox or a form to fill out on Etsy? Like, Hey, this person is copying my stuff. You know, here, I would love for you to take a look at it. Or is it more, is there a lawyer required? Like how do you physically process these things? So with Etsy, they just have a form you can easily fill out. It only takes under five minutes and you just link your original listing and you link the copying stores listing. And generally you'll put it as copyright unless you have the trademark for that. And Etsy will take it down usually within 24 to 48 hours. And probably only worthwhile if it really is a bestseller. Cause I imagine there's an 80, 20 rule too. you know, the listing, you know, upload a hundred listings and maybe 20 of them get sales. And maybe only a handful of those are like really driving any volume. So it's like, well, if somebody's coming after my cash cows and I'm going to defend that, but if they you know, ripped off something at the back of the catalog, yeah, it's okay. Probably not worth the time. Yeah. And I, I've had a lot of people because I've spoken about this a few times on my YouTube channel and people have said <laughs> like, oh, why don't you just trademark everything? And I understand that would probably be a good idea, but the cost of a trademark per the profit, the lifetime profit of a t-shirt really isn't as worth it. And also with Etsy, since you're creating a high volume listing store, you know, that's 400 items I have on my store that I would have to trademark. So that's where it's kind of like, well, it's kind of minimum 225 a piece. You know, if you're doing it yourself with no legal fees, it adds up in a hurry. Now, have you gone down the path of trademarking those, those bestsellers? I have not. I was thinking about it, but... One thing I've noticed too is how long it takes to trademark an item. So by the time the trademark goes through, you know, I was just, I did talk to a lawyer and they told me, oh, it'd be six to 24 months for this trademark to come back if you are approved. And I looked into it a few times and I was like, you know what, by the time that I get this trademark, this item won't be trending anymore. It may not be a bestseller. <laughs> so trends just come and go, especially with designs. And there will be a bunch of people who are going to, you know, copycat and take all of your designs. But if anything, sometimes 
it kind of just inspires me to create new designs. And then that creates the next bestseller. And it's kind of, it is a positive thing where it keeps me on my toes in a way where I'm like, okay, let me design something else that people want to buy because maybe this design is going to kind of burn out anyways. So yeah, we've heard that from other merch sellers, other print on demand sellers, even other FBA sellers. It's like, yeah, they can look at the data, they can see what's selling, they can copy us, but they don't know where we're going. We, you know, we always got to be innovating to the next thing. Is there a creative process for you? Or, you know, you sit down, you know, you got the coffee going first thing in the morning, like, all right, I'm going to crank out some designs. What does that pro- uh, process look like for you? Usually, I generally start with kind of doing my research before I start designing because I used to be like that where I was like, let me just start this new amazing trend on Etsy, you know, and then I upload a design that I took hours on and then it totally flops. No one buys it. So I've kind of started with just researching and doing my market research by kind of looking over what's selling right now, what's trending. Like for example, right now, retro designs are really in and kind of the funky groovy font um, are really in on Etsy and any niche that you go into, there's a funky kind of retro design going on. So generally I'll pull inspiration from those areas and then I'll create my own version of a design. So once I have that design template of that new type of design, I will take that and I just replicate it for every single niche I've been in. And generally, sometimes I'll see sales through doing that. Sometimes I won't see anything. And then I'll be like, okay, what if I change the colors of, or the color schemes of that specific design template or the fonts? So I'll change it, tweak it, and then I'll re-upload it for every single niche (laughs) and then go again, (laughs) really. And uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of just my design process when I kind of drink my coffee in the morning. So yeah, coming up with that. I know I appreciate you saying that research first and then coming up with one design that you can kind of templatize across all these different niches, you know, change the keyword and and then you're kind of off to the races. Anybody helping you with the upload part of the process? (laughs) Like that's the tedious thing, like checking these boxes and like making all these different listings and all this stuff. I have not hired anyone yet. And one of the main reasons why is because I've heard horror stories about hiring a VA that, you know, they're doing their VA services for print on demand for multiple different stores, not just yours. So let's say that other store gets banned or suspended on Etsy since their IP address is under that store and it's under your store, your store can get banned as well. So those are like the horror stories I've heard that I still haven't done it yet. And I feel like I definitely should going forward just due to all that I'm kind of doing now, but I still haven't had the courage to try it yet. (laughs) So maybe in the future though, I'm still considering it or maybe kind of handing over the baton to maybe a family member or a friend that I trust. So if they want to do that, that is. I mean, it's it's important to remember, yes, it's kind of tedious, but we had Michael Essick on the show a couple of years, a couple of summers ago, and he was talking about his print on demand business. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's really putting in the reps of just uploading design after design after design. It's like, but for perspective, you know, my grandfather's generation had to go pull coal out of the ground. So it, it could be worse, you know, yeah. just, okay, trying to bring it back to <laughs> what is this, you know, there are, there are worse things. 
You mentioned Canva for the designs. You mentioned MailChimp for the email list. Any other tools or tech that you like on the research side, like you know Etsy SEO keyword research or anything like that, or other tools that you swear by in this business? I have used Everbee. I've used Sales Samurai for just research. Sometimes I've kind of went the graphics route with either Creative Fabrica or Creative Market. I think they have a lot of really nice designs and types of graphics that you can kind of just upload onto a t-shirt and that's it. I think being simplistic like that really sells or what I have seen recently really sells, you know, just uploading a few flowers on a t-shirt from a graphic bundle that I purchased off of Creative Fabrica. So things like that. Right. Cool. Yeah. There was somebody had mentioned E-Rank in the past for Etsy research. I didn't know if there was any of those. You liked Everbee yeah. and Sales Samurai are all new to me, so I'll link those up in uh, in the show notes as well. Well, Heather, this has been really cool. Anything that you know, if you had to start over, anything that you would do differently, mistakes, surprises along the way? I feel like I would have kept going in 2020, and I think that's something that's I guess the greatest takeaway from my story is it's never too late to start, and I think that's what I originally was thinking when I began in 2020, I was like, oh, I'm too late to the print-on-demand world. And it's so saturated now. And look at my store now. It's made, you know, in 2021, it made 250K in revenue. And that's crazy because I, I never thought I would get to that level. But that was all because I started, even though I saw that the market was so saturated. So... Yeah, it's only going to be more saturated a year from now. So that's kind of this, the yeah. ongoing theme. It's like, well, a year from now, you're going to wish you started today. It's not too late to get into the game. We've seen it in blogging, podcasting, e-commerce, you, you name it. It's like, yeah, it's competitive. Yeah, it's crowded, but it's not going to get any better. So, you know, the best time to plant a tree, sure, it was 30 years ago, but it was too late for that. You've got the shop. You've got your your Heather Studio on YouTube. You've got heatherxstudio.com. What's next for you? What are you excited about these days? Just course creation and working with new students who are looking to start their own print on demand businesses with Etsy. So that's what I've really been focusing on. I just released maybe a month or two ago my first master course, which is the Print on Demand Academy. So that's where I teach like my whole program on how to start a print on demand business with Etsy. So that's been really exciting and fun and helping students, you know, go from zero sales to I have one student that's now almost at the five figure mark. So it's really cool seeing that replicated through a course that I've taught. So that's great. People, students are finding you primarily through the YouTube channel. Yes. Yep. And TikTok as well. I started on TikTok in March and I posted just a few videos here and there. And it's already at, I believe it's at 40,000 followers. So it's pretty cool to see. TikTok is like this black box for me. I don't know. <laughs> That's awesome though. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You meet people. Oh, I started four months ago. I've got 50,000 followers. Like, oh, what am I doing with my life? But that's awesome. Congrats on that. Yeah. It's a really great platform to grow on. So yeah. Well, we will link up all of these resources for you in the show notes for this episode. Heather, thanks so much for joining me. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. My number one tip is 
to just take the small steps on a daily basis to grow a business. I feel like any business that you decide to create, you know, for example, my Etsy and print on demand store, I uploaded a few listings a day that got me to about 400 listings in 2021. And without those 400 listings, I wouldn't have had a multiple six figure store. So uh, I think just taking the small daily steps to grow a business is the best advice I could give. So yeah, it's so true. You got to put in the reps, you know, nobody can buy from you if you don't have anything to sell. So you go put those listings out into the world. We call it the buy buttons strategy of going where the cash is already flowing instead of trying to build your own thing and saying, hey, internet, come find me. It's like, no, they're already shopping on Etsy. Like put it in front of them where they've got their wallet already stored and go do that and go, like you said, be be consistent with it. And you start to see the compound effect of those efforts. It's very true. Well, Heather, thanks so much. And we'll catch up with you soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Heather. Lots of cool ideas inside, especially on the marketing front. I really liked Heather's retail strategies of the on-again, off-again, short-term deadline sale on her Etsy shop. A little discount to encourage people to get off the fence and make their order. The same idea went for her initial traction inside certain Facebook communities like, hey, I'm a small business Etsy shop owner. Here's an exclusive discount for your members. I thought that was a cool win-win way to approach group admins. I liked Heather's method of collecting emails through her product descriptions, even though it didn't have an amazing conversion rate, even though by her own admission, she's kind of neglecting that MailChimp list. At least she's building an asset that she has some control over there. And then minding the margins, the minimum order threshold for free shipping, she had it set, I think, at $35, was interesting and I imagine improves her overall order size and percentage-wise, hopefully saves her margin on shipping costs. Plus, on the process flow, the creative process flow. Once you've got a design, repeating that across every niche that you serve. It's coming up with that template. That's like the heavy creative work and then figuring out how to get as much mileage out of it as you can. For podcasting or blogging, the equivalent would be repurposing that to every different social channel. You already did the hardest part, creating the thing And then with a few small tweaks, maybe you can reach a much wider audience. Again, lots of cool stuff, super low overhead business to start. And kudos to Heather for putting in the reps and getting it out there. Once again, you'll find the full show notes and links to all the resources mentioned at sidehustlenation.com slash Heather. And while you're there, make sure to download my list of 50 print-on-demand niches that you can get started with today. That's at sidehustlenation.com slash Heather. Or if you don't like typing in URLs, you can follow the link in the episode description of your podcast app. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're finding value in the show, the greatest compliment is to share it with a friend. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show, where I'm covering five of the most popular side hustles and what you might consider doing instead. I'll see you then. Hustle on.